This is Government Gone Digital. I'm Dana Birchman, Chief Digital Officer here in Gilbert, Arizona, and I'm here today with Derek Konofalski, our Data and Technology Analyst, and a very special guest, Eric Roche, Chief Data Officer for Kansas City, Missouri. Eric, we're so happy to have you. You were one of the first cities to be chosen for Bloomberg's What Work Cities initiative and the first to launch an open data portal in 2013, right? Yeah, I don't know if we were the first, uh, but we were, we were definitely one of the original cities to launch our Open Data Portal back in 2013. Awesome. So tell me how it came to be that Kansas City decided that this was a path that they were planning to take for open data, because I really think you guys are leading the way um, in this arena for sure. Yeah. So, you know, it started off just as um, really with, with Mayor James and with the city council really taking the lead and saying, you know, we, we want to be this, this new thing that's called open data. We want to be transparent. We happen to have a wonderful staff person named Millie Crossland, who was in my position before me, and she, she really hit the ground running. And I think the, the best thing she did was it, it was about she, she won all the early discussions on how, why it's good to share data and why we should be transparent. And I don't think I've ever had to argue with anyone over, you know, that this is the public's data and they need access to it. If anything, I have to kind of push back nowadays and say like, well, let's hold on and review it for quality and make sure, you know, it's the best thing we can possibly put out. Since 2013, it's just been going really well. And we're kind of at the point now where everyone wants to share all the time. And uh, it's a really nice place to be. It's kind of interesting that there was even an argument in the first place about open data that's kind of fascinating to me because, yeah, like you said, it's it's the public's data. We, I mean, we say that all the time on the podcast anyway. And I know, you know, with What Works Cities, that's like one of their big pushes is that it, this none of this belongs to us. We can't be like the guardians of it and keep it under wraps because it's not ours. Yeah. You know, I think the original discussion was always around, well, how do you protect people's privacy? And mm-hmm. while we were doing it at the beginning, we weren't used to communicating it. How, you know, and there weren't standards around protecting people's privacy. And now the concept of uh, personally identifiable information, PII, is, is pretty well understood by anyone who's working with data in the city. And people are comfortable sharing some things, but other things send up red flags like they should, right? So anything resembling a social security number, uh, you know, trips people off and says, whoa, 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 whoa let's like slow down and make sure that um, we're sharing the, the right amount of information um, and being transparent while also respecting people's privacy. So did you run into any roadblocks or resistance when this was first an idea in the organization or across the city? Or was it just well-received from the get-go? You know, I think it was fairly well-received. I think uh, where we've encountered some resistance is sort of in people's process of how they want to upload data. So uh Often people want to take a, a look at their data beforehand and make sure that there's, you know, no missing rows and that everything looks right. But in order for the data to be really valuable, it needs to be updated as often as possible, which for us means once a day, if, if not multiple times per day. And some of our larger data sets are over a million rows, and you're not really going to have the ability to scroll through all of that in Excel or whatever and check it every time. So there was initially some... Um, conversations that had to be had about getting staff comfortable with the idea of we're just going to pull the data and we will run some tests on it and, you know, always make sure that these columns are there and that they look this way. So that kind of transformation stage and automating that and automating some of the checks they do. But really that the idea is we're just going to pull it from the server and push it to open data uh, the way it should be. And 
you know, that that was a kind of a leap of trust for staff. But I think um, I think everyone's pretty much gotten behind it because it makes their lives so much easier. They don't have to run it all the time and upload it all the time. manually. That's amazing because I don't even I mean, for a few of our data sets, we're not even in that position yet because people still are not comfortable. You know, the 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 recurring idea that I hear, not just in in you know, the municipalities around us, but all over the country is, is pretty much exactly that, that we want to review this data. We want to make sure, you know, the fear, and we always talk about fear and people being afraid of stuff. The fear is that a constituent or a resident is going to call you out that row number 3,247, you know, entry ID number, whatever is wrong. It's like, okay, thanks. We'll look into that. Like, we'll fix it. We'll, we'll right. see what was the issue. Like, it's not, it's, they're not going to bring down the whole, you know, town government or the whole city government because they pointed out that there's like a couple rows that are incorrect like in the interest of being transparent you got to put it out there warts and all you know it it has to be out there that way otherwise otherwise if you start gatekeeping it or you start trying to correct it before it goes out then you lose all the trust that you've built by putting that information out in the first place yeah we should mention we've just launched our open data portal in december so we're only a few months into this process so we're quite a few years behind you and you know we were really looking to you and others to really emulate when we were going down this road and and we definitely made a choice to get everyone at the table in the beginning and i've i've talked with other cities through the what work cities process who did the opposite you know they maybe went for some low-hanging fruit or low-value data sets to start and kind of are easing in. And I think for us, it was a really smart idea to bring everyone to the table. Public safety definitely had some hesitancy at the beginning, um, and those are actually the our most visited data sets. But overall, we took the time to invest and to listen and to work through that process. And then I think it was it was for the better because I know other cities who just, you know, started with permitting data or or something that was just really simple out of the gate to kind of get started. So what would you say to cities who don't have an open data portal or maybe are just like us and just starting in this area? You know, how do you continue success to drive to that portal over years like you have? Yeah. So I, this is kind of a cop-out answer, so I apologize, but I think it can work both ways. And I've, Mm -hmm. I've seen it work both ways. In, in our organization, we, we have about 4,500 employees in, uh, in 19 departments. Uh, our police department actually reports through the state instead of the city. I think we're the only city in the country like that, so it's kind of weird. Um, so there's, there's a lot of complications going on with getting everyone around the same table. And I inherited the program from the previous director, and we had already had quite a few wins with getting that low-hanging fruit. So I was able to show the examples of like, no, look, like tons of people are accessing this information on a daily basis, the police data, you know, our 311 call logs. This is all real information that's providing useful um, to residents, staff, business owners, et cetera. Um, and because everyone was bought into transparency, uh, it, w- it was fairly easy to do. We also tended to have people in each department that owned the data and I could kind of talk to about their servers and they spoke the language a little bit. Um, so I didn't, I never was in the position where I needed to get a whole bunch of people on board initially. Um, I believe that that did happen kind of at the director level and explain what the policy is and what we're doing. Uh, but I found it's actually for, for us, it's a little bit easier to do it on a department by department basis. Uh, we've had this, sorry, sorry to interrupt. We've had this, uh, I think the same situation is department by department has really been the way to go. 
yeah, it's it's been really nice and it it helps me, right? My my background, I have an MPA, so like I'm I'm not out of the CS world. So for me to understand the data, I really need to understand their operations. Mm-hmm. And so be, be able to go by department has been um, really fun one because I get to go on all sorts of tours and understand their work and get get to know them. But it also allows us to prioritize whole, uh, I guess, like taxonomies of data or categories of data uh, around the most important issues to our community. So for the last year or two, I've been really focused on neighborhoods related data. So, you know, releasing market value analyses, releasing code violations data, highlighting this data where whenever we go out, doing as much analysis with it as we can. Um, whereas if we were taking kind of a more citywide approach, um, it, it would be kind of more of a, for us, making sure each department's uploading certain data sets and things like that. And it might take us a little longer to get that stood up and by just focusing all of our attention on one department. And you have the department's response. I mean, they're they're putting their own data up there. Because one of the things that I noticed about your open data portal that I, I, you know, I'm, we don't do and, and I don't see a lot of other municipalities doing is that you guys also put up like forms and application uh, documents and stuff like that into the open data portal. Is that intentional or was that like a way to get department buy-in? Like, hey, you have this stuff that you're doing on paper right now. We're going to put this on the open data portal and, you know, maybe make it easier for people. Or, I mean, what was the thought process behind that? Yeah. So unfortunately, I don't think we thought about it. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which happens sometimes. Uh, we, we ran some numbers and we found out that we have over uh, 5,000 PDFs on the site. Yeah. And some of them are hilarious, right? So like there's one out there that's called like placeholder and it's just like a PDF that has like in the middle, like printed on it, like we'll replace this later. It's been up there for years. Um, another one, another one I found last week was it just says storm grate on it and you open it up and it's just a little tiny picture of a storm grate and that that's it. Perfect. Um, Government transparency. So I, I think uh, it was pivotal in getting people invested in the idea of like you can and should share this information and like them as data owners and data stewards and kind of that mentality of like you're responsible for what you share and like you should be thinking about is it appropriate or not. But unfortunately, it's gotten to the point where it's pretty much impossible to manage um, our open data site. 5,000 PDFs sitting out there, not great. Um and I really think it happened because we didn't have another way for employees to organize them. We were going through website redesigns. We didn't have a good content management system. Mm-hmm. And so open data was the path of least resistance for people to be able to share information. So that's where they ended up. So we're actually in the process of um, putting them on a more of a content management system and integrating them into the website and trying to make open data a place really for data and maps and kind of a, a more focused audience. That's great, though. Like, I think that's valuable because not, not that you're admitting to like a mistake, but it's like, you know, you tried this and it didn't exactly turn out the way that you thought. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people when it comes to any of this kind of stuff, um, especially government, government related, yeah, yeah, government <laughs> related anything, um, they're very, very, again, afraid to try something for the fear of, of it not turning out exactly the way they intended on the first go. So that's great to hear because like our documents, you know, I was actually thinking about like, oh, well, like, what are the advantages if we took our documents? and put them on the open data portal because right now we do have a content management system on our website and it's you know it's organized by department or by rfp number so like that all that stuff is grouped together and i really i couldn't think of like a, a, a reason why the open data portal would be a better place for that stuff except that it's like one central place yeah. where everything is stored so i didn't know if that was the kind of the motivation yeah. behind that 
I think the one thing I'm thinking about keeping up there are some of those like really historic documents or reports, you know, like uh, LP Cookingham, kind of this famous city manager we had, some of his initial budget reports. What a name. About, <laughs> yeah, about stomping out corruption and things like it. that. 40s, like some of those documents that for historical purposes would be a good place to, to put them. That could, that could be kind of interesting, but I haven't thought about it too much yet. So tell me how you're using this data. So what realizations have you made? What problems, like you mentioned neighborhoods, um, but tell me a little bit more about um, some of the results that you've seen come as a result of, you know, you putting this information out there. Yeah. So probably the, the largest place that shows up is um, in our, our two programs that our office runs. We're in the city manager's office. So we run two programs called KC Stat and um, Apartment Stat. So KC Stat is a monthly report out on the progress of the citywide business plan. Uh, we kind of rotate topics. So one month might be public safety, the next might be infrastructure and transportation, et cetera. And wherever we can, the information we get is coming from open data case data. And this allows us to spot any issues that will be in the data pretty quickly since we kind of know what we should be seeing is in you know uh, general, dog fooding practice, uh, and it's also really nice to be able to tell the public, like, hey, you know, here's the average number of days it took to close potholes. And if you want to check our math, by the way, here's where we got all the raw data. Um, you know, this is this is the real information. This is where our analysts are getting all their information from simply because uh, it's so much easier than going into a system and running a query or asking IT to build a report for you. Um, a lot of people just really enjoy being able to get the data into, for us, it's Excel or Google Sheets or something like that. A lot of the information on how our, the city is performing comes from 311, code violations, public safety data, permitting, any, anything we're really trying to tell a story about, we can link to, okay, well, what data could inform that story and tell us how we're doing? And we've got pretty much data for everything at this point, I believe. The other thing is in department stat, where we're focused on solving specific problems and mm. kind of working as internal consultants, uh, we'll pull in information uh, that is probably not as used on the transparency side of things. So information about like all our parcels and property owners and start linking them together. A lot of our data sets have common fields so that we can pull them back into databases and start to work on much more complicated questions that require uh, machine learning and things like that. Are you guys publishing those stories online? Like, are, is that something because the, the, kind of discussion that we always have around stories and, and, and government interpretation of data is that, you know, residents might look at that data or look at your interpretation and and skew or, or, or look at the data in a way differently and think that, you know, oh, this is propaganda or it's whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and ultimately, like, you, I think you kind of said it, so maybe I've, I'm answering my own question, but it's like, you know, you're, if you're providing the raw data along with it, like people can make their own interpretations. But what are you finding in terms of the stories that you're writing? You know, are, are those stories actually engaging residents or do you find that it's, it's just causing issues? I think uh, it, I can't really think of any issues that's caused. It's been pretty much pure benefit. We do find residents engaging with the data stories we tell. So Casey stat. You can attend in person. You can watch as we live tweeted on Twitter, hashtag KCStat. You can watch it on live stream, which is also now on YouTube. Uh, and so that, that's really nice. So we try and make it as accessible as possible. You can access the presentation later. Everything's archived and online. 
And so we, you know, the goal is to be transparent about our, our progress, not just the data. So it's really combining the data with the narrative of what's going on. And I find that while I often say like, you can go check our math if you really want to, you know, we're, we're open about that, call us out if we're wrong. I think just being able to say that people tend to be like, well, he's probably telling the truth that I've never really had anyone check like if I've done averages correctly. Um, there's, there's quite a bit of trust there just by having the transparency in place. Um, you know, I think we knew we were having an impact when we were at a budget hearing. I think every city has them, right? You go out and the public speaks and they stand on the line and talk about what, you know, what they'd like to see different. And someone was arguing for more code enforcement officers for code violation type work. And they were holding up a slide deck that we had presented three or four months earlier, showing all sorts of data about the caseload per case inspector and how it was trending and all sorts of information. And to see residents using that data, um, which really, you know, didn't have a goal on its own. We weren't, we were just reporting on performance. We weren't making an argument for more codes inspectors, but this resident said, hey, you know, neighborhood issues are important to me. I want more code inspectors and here's the data that I think backs it up. And they actually did get more code inspectors, quite a few. So it was really cool to see a resident, you know, showing data and graphs and charts and maps that we we made and using it to justify their policy positions. Um, so that that was a great impact we had. I love that. We've, yeah, we talk amazing. about this all the time, especially with the launch. We launched a 311 app. Uh, last May, and our a lot of our workforce was a little nervous that this was going to create you know more work for them. And instead, you know, we asked them to think differently. Think instead that now, if those problems exist, they exist and they need to be fixed. Right now, you have the data to show you know we have X number of streetlights that are out you know every week, and we only have three people working whatever hours to be able to fix those streetlights and we need more resources here. And when they realized that instead of feeling that this was going to shine a spotlight on maybe making them feel like there was more work than they could possibly ever get done, we started, you know, trying to turn that on its head and say, instead, think of it as that's your justification for when you need resources or, you know, those problems, it's, it's kind of like Derek said, like with the data, the, the, the data is what it is. The problems exist. If someone takes a picture of a pothole, warts and, and all, warts and all, and they send it to you, we need to fix that problem. And so it's an interesting. It's been an interesting journey for us in this organization, and 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 it's actually working out really well. And um, people are they love to be able to see the numbers, you know. And I know we talk mm -hmm. about this a lot, but it's very powerful when you're in government, especially, and, and resources are lean when you can make a case for what you want and like you said even have a resident come and hold up the paper and show the numbers i mean it doesn't get much better than that you know yeah and that's like i i'm i'm really glad to hear you say that that you had residents that engage with the data mm -hmm. that way and that you guys kind of uh you know you you release data along with your city plan or with your business plan because that that's kind of been our approach is that you know we're looking at our data sets and our prioritization is is heavily weighted towards things that are timely for for things that the city or the town is planning on doing you know we we want we want it to be you know we have our our little mascot Alex that's our data mascot that that tries to explain our stories to residents and stuff like that and I really want to see that when residents see like the notice of public hearing signs that are up in the town or if they see you know some kind of information online about like a decision that's being made that Alex is there and that people can say oh there's like there's some data behind this decision or there's some more information that I look I can look into if I'm really interested in finding out 
why this is happening. It's not just, mm-hmm. I, I feel it's like it's almost making that change or tricking, I don't want to say tricking people because it has a negative connotation, but like tricking people into a two-way conversation as opposed to what I think most governments have, which is a one-way conversation, which is we're doing this and you're going to have to live with it now. Right. Yeah. You know, it's we, we've seen all the same things and it, our staff, I think, has really latched on to the, the way we handle data, which is like the data shows what's going on. We go to you for narrative and, you know, we trust you that you're, you're doing your best and working your hardest on it. So it's your chance to explain, you know, what you need or, you know, maybe that's the proper level of performance for budget resources right now. But really, it just ground truths every discussion. And that that's been extremely uh, I don't know, it just makes my job so fun and interesting because you can have such honest discussions about policy without people feeling like they're being blamed as staff people. Yeah, and we Derek mentioned Alex, our little avatar mascot that we use to walk our residents through that kind of outward-facing um, persona that will take you through the open data portal and make it relatable. And I know you had created a chatbot, too, to help people. So talk to me a little bit about that. And you co- partnered, I believe, with Code for America on the project, which I think is super cool. Yeah. Um, so I work with our local Code for America brigade, Code for KC, on a weekly basis. And I, I have been going for years now. Um, it's just a great uh, community group, and I love being part of it. And I had been struggling with how to make open data more accessible to people who are not necessarily looking for spreadsheets. Uh, I think open data works really well if you know what you're looking for. But for a lot of people, they need to kind of have this discussion. And I've had so many of these discussions with residents and with staff that I kind of could predict which questions were going to come up and which questions would follow those questions. And really what I was helping people do is navigate to a data set eventually that would answer their question. And so they might ask a question about like, well, do you have, I want to know about crime. Well, do you want raw crime data or do you want something that just shows like homicides over time? Do you really want a chart or a map or in to kind of, Ask those questions, I basically just pushed them into a chatbot using the easiest platform I could find. So the rule was, uh, there's certainly chatbots out there that are using all sorts of deep learning. Um, and, you know, Alex sounds fantastic. I know Boston is using deep learning and machine learning to, to build out some three-on-one stuff that's super cool. I'm so jealous of Boston. That sounds so awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, you should definitely talk to their data team out there. Uh, but the, this chatbot rule was, let's see what's possible by doing it in little tiny increments as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we put it together and, you know, just kind of worked at it at Code for KC on and off for like a year or so, an hour at a time. And uh, it, was, it was an interesting project because I had to think about like how, you know, what style should this chatbot have and uh, make sure, you know, as, as a computer person, like my uh, my spelling and grammar are not my strength. So really making sure that the chatbot came across as somewhat intelligent. Uh, and, but at the same time, making, you know, how do, how do I explain this stuff in a simple enough way about like, why is our fiscal year set to a certain date um, without being, you know, incredibly verbose and giving a stereotypical government answer? And so it, it didn't cost any money. It was all done off city time. It was just a project of mine. And I had no idea. Like, I thought like seven people might use this and then it would just kind of die. And instead, what I found is more and more people are accessing it and using it to the point of I hadn't actually thought about how to continue to support it or update it because I kind of just assumed it was a it was really just a project for fun. I didn't think it would work. Um, and now coming up, it's it'll be out a year in June. 
I guess I probably need to go back and really reinvest in it and update it and figure out where we're going to take the platform. So the chatbot doesn't necessarily pull data from the data sets. It more so is directing people to get to the data that they're looking for, right? Yeah, it's a very simple chatbot. Like on a scale, like there's, there's, there's like intelligent bots out there that do really amazing things. This is not that. This is basically looking for keywords and then trying to match them through resources and kind of having them step through like, eh, that sounds like what I want. Oh, yeah, a map does sound better than a data set in this case. And that sort of, um, you know, they're really digging through menus, essentially. It's just an easier format, and it works on a platform that most people are familiar with, Facebook Messenger. And so I, I liked the accessibility aspect. I think we're going to, it definitely calls into question that, like, a lot of people keep using this. So is this something cities should move forward with in general? Is it something we should keep doing? Or is, is it meeting their needs? Maybe it's a bunch of people using it, but they never, ever come back to it because it didn't meet their needs. They just clicked on it because it sounded cool, in which case we'll take it in a different direction. Yeah, that's cool. I, I, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because it's very reassuring to me because like I, I'm, I started working on a Alexa skill for our open data set because one of the things that people kept asking us, we found that, you know, like the, the top 20 questions that people asked were, were almost all like universally the, the same thing, you know, so, so getting away again for people just to, to access that stuff. And part of what we're doing with Alex too is doing tutorial videos that'll be on the website so that people can see, you know, like this is how you download the data set. And if you want to make, a, if you want to graph this out in Excel, if that's your preferred, like here's a tutorial video on how to graph this out in Excel. Yeah. And then, you know, we also looked at uh, Microsoft now has like their Azure bot framework or whatever, which I think is even changing now. And so I started looking into making a chat bot kind of like that. But the thing that I kept running into was like my expectation of what I thought a chat bot was supposed to be is that I would be able to ask, you know, how much how many calls for service were, were made to this area of town in, you know, 2007 or whatever. And, and ultimately what I've been seeing as I've been looking at all these different chatbots is that that's not really what they're doing. They're, they're, like you said, just connecting people to those data sets in different ways. They're looking for keywords so that people don't have to shuffle through 500 data sets to get the information that they're looking for. And I think that's important because I think that that kind of overwhelming thought is what's keeping a lot of municipalities from going all in on open data or going in with the mm -hmm. engagement. You know, we, we've both worked, worked with What Works Cities, so I know you're familiar with it, but they have that, that, that tactical data engagement, um, you know, ideology that they're using to try and get people not just to use data, but to think about using data, you know, getting citizens and residents involved in taking that data and using it to better their communities. And so I, I think this is an absolutely great conversation because it really is showing that there's there's multiple different ways that you can do this, multiple different ways you can engage people. And it doesn't have to be this giant overblown project to get people involved. Right. Yeah, super cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Eric. It was so nice to meet you via podcast. <laughs> this was great. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And can you tell our listeners where they should go if they want to learn more about your open data portal, visit it, check out all the great work Kansas City's doing? Sure. So uh, I'll give you uh, two websites and my Twitter handle. So uh, you can go to data.kcmo.org to check out our open data portal. The links along the top will take you to the chatbot if you want to mess around with that. Um, you can also view some of our data stories on our office's uh, blog, where we tell these data stories from KC Stat in specific and tight ways. And that blog is called Chartland. So if you just Google Chartland, it rhymes with Heartland. Uh, Chartland KC Mo should come up for you. And then you feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at Kansas City Eric, and that's Eric with a C. Awesome, Eric. 
Great. Thank you so much. And another reminder to our listeners that you can follow us on Twitter at GovGoneDigital. And we'll see you soon from Gilbert, Arizona on Government Gone Digital. 